Morning, church. Man, I, uh, my name is Eddie, like Micah said. Um, it is humbling uh, and an honor to be with you guys this morning. I'm excited for, for three reasons uh, to, to be here. One is I'm just excited to pursue the Lord uh, with you, just genuinely excited uh, to, to do that this morning. And then two, the only reason I'm here is because Pastor Jordan has taken like 20 dudes on, uh, on a trip, on a retreat, and they're pursuing the Lord together. So that, that is awesome. That, that warms my heart. I, I care for, as Michael was saying, for a lot of coaches and athletes and a lot of, a lot of young men. Uh, and it just warms my heart hearing and seeing when men desire Jesus uh, above all things. So I'm excited about that. And then three, <clears throat> I'm excited to be here specifically to talk about with you guys uh, with these verses. Um, the verses that were read, this story of Nathaniel being brought by Philip to, to Jesus and then seeing a heart change. Um, this scripture is just, it means a lot to me. I see, I see my own story in this, like I'm sure some of you do. Um, for so much of my life, uh, I denied coming to Jesus and going to Jesus even though I was invited over and over and over again. So when I was eight, uh, I watched my dad get arrested, dragged out of my house as my mom was screaming. I was protecting my sister. And from that moment on, like I didn't really want anything to do with family much. So friends and sports became my identity. Friends and sports became my refuge where I went. And it was that way all throughout high school. And I had friends that were believers in high school that would invite me to, to church and didn't really want anything to do with that. And then I got to college, and this, this house that, that I built my life on, I found out was really built on sand, and things started to, to fall apart. Baseball started to fall apart. Friends were, were going everywhere. And all of a sudden, I, I, I really was wrestling and struggling with who I am and what, and what I know. And for the next four years of college, I pursued every avenue I could find looking for meaning and purpose and identity and just kept coming up short. And that whole four years that I was there, I had friends who were believers that kept inviting me to this sports ministry on campus, on Linwood, uh, Linwood University's campus called Athletes in Action. And I denied over and over and over again for four years. I had friends invite me to church over and over and over again for four years. And I kept denying till finally when baseball was done, when it was two weeks after college was done, kind of hit like that rock bottom, if you will, space. And I finally said, okay, I'll come. And I started going to church. I started hearing the gospel, started being around people who love Jesus. I went to a camp with that sports ministry. And at that camp in three days, I heard the gospel like 50 times. And by the end of that camp, I could not deny anymore that Jesus truly is who he says he is, that God desires a relationship with me. I surrendered my life completely to him after that camp. And I haven't looked back. But it was encountering Jesus at that camp, it was encountering others who loved the Lord. It was encountering the gospel uh, where my heart finally was, was changed and I desired uh, Jesus. So that's kind of the big idea here on this slide. It's coming up of what, what we're going to look at in these verses today and see. Big idea is encountering Jesus is what tunes our heart to sing his praise. If you're a fan of the song, Come Thou Font, you probably recognize that, that, that line, tune our heart to sing his praise. I see this, this happening over and over and over again in this scripture. And even in the scripture that you guys went over last week, uh, I, I see this happening. So we're going to see this woven uh, through um, each, each scripture here as, uh, as we go in. So I'm going to pray uh, for us again here, and then we're going we're gonna to dive in, uh, going verse by verse. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, um, 
Lord, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you for, uh, for our testimonies and our stories of how you, Lord, not because of anything that we have done, but you, Lord, saved us and opened our eyes to the reality of your love, to the reality of your goodness, Lord. And I thank you for just this next hour that we get together, God, that uh, as we get to pursue you and, and talk about the things of you and look in your word uh, for what you have for us. Um, God, I pray, Lord, that, um, that your word, uh, as we encounter you and your love, uh, God, would, would change our heart this morning, Lord, would soften it, uh, that there would be a, a renewed love and desire for you and your word, God, that you would truly tune our heart um, to worship you, to praise you. God, I pray that we would leave this morning with a greater understanding of your character and a greater love uh, for who you are uh, and for your gospel, Lord. So we thank you uh, for the moment now and this next hour, Lord, be with us. We love you and praise you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so to set the scene again where you guys kind of left off, this is early in Jesus' ministry. He's gathering his disciples, and it's cool. We're seeing a glimpse here of you guys in the verses last week and what we're going to look at now. We're seeing a glimpse of how the kingdom of God is, is built. It's person to person. It's those who are encountering Jesus and in their joy going and telling others uh, about Jesus and, and who he is, proclaiming uh, their, their testimony. Uh, again, last week you guys saw uh, John the Baptist was hanging out with his two disciples, and Jesus walks by, and he proclaims Jesus as the Lamb of God. Then those two disciples left, and they started to follow Jesus. Uh, and then Andrew goes and finds his brother, Simon, and brings him to Jesus. And now today, we are seeing Jesus call Philip, and Philip, in his joy, run to his friend Nathaniel, and then eventually bring Nathaniel to Jesus. So, back in verses 43 through 45 here in John uh, chapter 1, again, says this, the next day, this is the very next day from where you guys let off net last week, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was far from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip then found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So kind of fun fact, uh, Jesus 20 times in the Gospels personally tells someone to come and follow him. There's a few other times where he says the words, follow me, but 20 times he personally tells someone to come and, and follow him. And I love just the, the initial simple obedience that we're seeing from the disciples here uh, in, in these verses that we're reading and what you guys saw before. Uh, just the simple obedience we see here in, in verse 44 that says, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So right away we're seeing that these guys know each other. They kind of grew up in, in the same town, and Bethsaida actually means house of fishermen. Uh, and it wasn't as big as like a city that, that we would think. It was actually more like a town. It was a very small town. So no doubt these guys kind of grew up together, and they probably fished together, and they, they, they know each other. So I'm, again, I, I love this, this, this simple uh, obedience uh, here of them just going back to those that they know after, uh, after encountering Jesus. And I, it, it's so interesting, isn't it, that, that the Savior of the world, that, that Jesus is going to small, humble towns, right, and choosing small, humble fishermen to go and be eventually the apostles then that, that changed the world. I find that absolutely fascinating. You would think that Jesus would scour the whole world, right, and would, and would interview and would 
personally set out to find the, the perfect candidates, but instead we see him single out this, this small group of fishermen with really, who they have really no you know, exceptional talents or abilities, but then Jesus calls them to himself and then he is going to gift them, train them, and empower them to then eventually do what he calls them to do. It's so amazing uh, and, and really encouraging because uh, I, I feel like a nobody. A lot of them from a small town, so the, 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 the fact that uh, that Jesus would, would call me, would call, uh, would call you, is, uh, is really, really encouraging. And then we see here again that this idea of the simple obedience of these men being so beautiful. We see out of the joy, in verse 43, then, uh, as Philip, um, as Jesus said to him, follow me, verse 44, uh, Philip was from Bethsaida, city of Andrew and Peter. Philip then went and found uh, Nathanael and proclaimed to him, we have found the one, right? So this, this beautiful, simple obedience of after encountering Christ, going to someone close to them. We saw Andrew last week go to uh, his brother, and we see Philip go and, and find a friend. They're going to someone close to them. and In their joy, they just they can't help it. They're going to the ones they love. Right, the one, the ones they know, which is really again cool and encouraging because when I think of mission, a lot of times when I think of going and preaching the gospel, my mind a lot of times does go to like overseas missions, right? And you gotta you gotta go to a third world country, you gotta go somewhere where where no one's ever heard the gospel. And yes, that is a an awesome, amazing part of being on mission, but there's also those in our own backyard that don't know Jesus. There's also those in our family that, that don't know Jesus, friends, coworkers that we work with, that we are doing life with day after day after day that need to hear the good news about Jesus. And if they do know him, that also probably need to be encouraged in their faith. So again, I just love the simple obedience. They encounter Jesus and in their joy, they go straight to the ones that they love, right? And that they know and are proclaiming uh, who he is. And um, many of us, many of us desire to obey the calling of Christ to go and make disciples and to go and, and preach the word. But a lot of times we, we hesitate, right? We get, we, we get timid. And um, I notice for me that those times where the opportunity presents itself, I, I, I'll see it, but the times where I hesitate is when I'm not spending time with the Lord in my own closet, in my, in my own quiet time with him. If I'm not encountering him first in my own relationship, when those opportunities present themselves, the, the joy and the boldness sometimes seems to, to not be there, right? I, I tend to be a lot more timid and a lot more hesitant when I'm not meeting with God on a regular basis. The, it, it's those periods of time um, when I'm not enjoying him, when I'm not spending time in his word, that I really notice a lack of desire and, and confidence and boldness to go tell others. And maybe, maybe some of you can relate. Maybe you notice that uh, in your own heart, but my, my, my prayer as we, as we talk about this and, and, and think about this, what if, what if God this morning could, could renew our heart? What if God this morning could remind us of the joy of our salvation, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus would stir us, stir our heart to worship maybe like we haven't in a long time? And then out of the overflow of what he's doing in us, in our own heart, right? We would go in joy and in thankfulness. And like we're seeing Philip here with that joy, can't help but go to our neighbors and our family and our friends and encourage them in their faith or if they don't know Jesus, to tell them about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done in your life and how they can come to know them. I believe God can do that in our, in our heart this morning, absolutely. So what if, what if we asked him to, to do that? 
What a joy-filled week this next week would be, right? If we plead to God, God, give me a heart. Change my heart desire. Give me a boldness and a desire for the lost, that they would come to know you, Lord. What a, what a totally different week uh, this coming week might be. Sometimes, though, right, we, when we do go and preach the gospel, when we do go and tell people about Jesus, sometimes the response isn't necessarily what, what we're looking for. I mean, we see this all over Scripture, right, especially with the, with the Apostle Paul when he's going and preaching Jesus. Sometimes the response isn't the best, and as we look back uh, here in John, we see that response here from, from Nathaniel. Uh, so after Philip goes to him and is proclaiming him, we have found, we have found the one here. Right, Nathaniel's response is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then Philip said to him, come and see. Uh, so it's not the response probably Philip uh, was looking for. Has anyone, has anyone here been shut down before from, you know, yeah, from sharing the gospel, talking about Jesus? Yeah, we, we've experienced it. And, and most of the time, in my experience, when we get shut down or it's not accepted, their beef isn't with us. It's, it's with God. There, there's something going on in their heart. There's something going on in their life of why uh, they, they're denying or not believing. It, ha- it usually has nothing to do with us. But for Nathaniel here, we're seeing that there, there's some sort of prejudice towards, uh, f- towards Nazareth here. There's some sort of lack of wisdom that, that, that is keeping Nathaniel from, from believing what Philip is telling him uh, in this moment. But I love, I love the response from, from Philip here, right? He says, he simply, simply says, look, man, just come and see. Come and see, right? What, a, what an unbelievable response because what I see in this is somehow, even though Philip has only been following Jesus here for a day, right, maybe, somehow Philip understood the truth that it's Jesus that changes hearts, right? It's Jesus that saves. And in humility, he's not trying to argue with, uh, with Nathaniel here, he simply says, my brother, like, let me take you to him. Come and see for yourself. He, it's so cool that he knows this already. He's like, if I bring him to Jesus, if I just let him talk to Jesus, he'll understand uh, and he'll see. What wonderful faith uh, from Philip that we see such early on uh, in, it, in his walk with the Lord. And as I was really meditating on, on this and just praying uh, through this scripture and, and spending time with the Lord in this, a question that kept coming to mind for me as I specifically was looking at this verse is for ourselves. What, what is keeping us from accepting the invitation every day? And this next slide here, um, let's see it, yeah, is, is this question that really I feel like the Holy Spirit was putting on my heart as we were studying this is what keeps us from accepting that invitation to come and see Jesus in all things, what keeps us from going to our Heavenly Father uh, in all things? Because the invitation to come to Him, to come and see, is, is all over Scripture. I mean, we see, like in, Matthew, or in, uh, in Psalm 34, we see, come, taste and see that He is good. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Hebrews 4 says, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Right? John 15, Jesus says, abide in me, remain in me, and I will abide in you. So it's, it's all over. It's, it's there. What keeps us away then? Is it fear of being known and then, and then being rejected? Is it, is it a feeling of unworthiness because of past sin or even just sin from this morning? Like what is it just, I feel unworthy to approach the creator of the universe right now? 
Is it, or is it kind of like Nathaniel, not believing that, that, that Jesus is good or that he's working good in whatever situation you're dealing with? There's probably many different things that we could say is keeping us um, from, from accepting that invitation on a regular basis. There's a, there's a really awesome book by a guy named A.W. Tozer called The Pursuit of God, and uh, he has a chapter in there that can help us work this out. Um, so in, in, in this chapter, he, he brings up the question, right? He says, okay, if, if the first veil has been torn, right? So a quick, quick reminder, in, in the Old Testament, when they're setting up the tabernacle, there was the room called the Holies of Holies, right? And there was a veil that separated or that was in front of the entrance that was separating the outside from the inside of going into the Holies of Holies. And only once a year did the high priest enter into the Holies of Holies without or with also making a sacrifice for himself before entering in, right? And we all know what would happen if you're in sin, if there's not a sacrifice and you were going to go to enter into the presence of God, you would die, right? That you cannot enter into the presence of God and be wrecked with, with sin. There had to be, the, the priest had to make a sacrifice and then, ent- and then he could enter in through the veil into the holies of holies and he could only do that once a year. That, that's how it was set up. And then we know in, in Matthew, it says when Jesus then finally gave up his spirit and said, it is finished, Matthew records that then the veil was ripped in two from top to bottom and access to God was open to all who believe in him, right? The veil was torn, right? So, so that, that's the first veil, right? So the question is, the question that A.W. Tozer brings up in that chapter is like, if, if the veil is torn and we have complete access to God, then why in the world do we tarry going into his presence? Why in the world do we, do we keep ourselves from entering into the presence of God, into the creator of the universe when we have complete access to him? So that, that, that's the question that he asks. And, he, and he, then he goes and he talks about what the veil, uh, or so he then has this idea of what keeps us then from doing just that, entering into his presence when we have access, is this idea of a second veil. But the second veil is in our hearts and he talks about what this second veil is made up. And here's a slide, here's a quote from, uh, from that book as he talks about what the second veil is made up for. It says, this veil is woven from the fine threads of the self-life, the hyphenated sins of the human spirit. They are not something we do, they are something we are. And therein lies both their subtlety and their power. To be specific, the self-sins are these, self-righteous, self-pity, self-confidence, self-sufficiency, self-admiration, self-love, and a host of others like them. They dwell too deep within us and are too much a part of our nature to come to our attention until the light of God is focused upon him. So this, this is his idea. There is, there is still sin in our heart, and specifically this, this self-sufficiency, this, this self-righteousness, this, this sin that keeps us, that even though he's given, God has given us complete access to him, we still tarry and don't take advantage of it because for all of, all of those reasons. So then the question is, well, then how do we tear that veil? How does, how does that veil get torn? And the, and the answer is pretty simple. The same way that the first veil is, is torn, right? We must take those sins to the cross. We must put those sins to death, this sin in our heart that keeps us from truly enjoying 
deep relationship with Jesus can only be put to death by bringing those sins to Jesus, by bringing those sins to the cross day after day. And sometimes it's a fight. Many of you, myself included, we've battled sin for a long time and we know that we can't do it on our own. The only thing that has delivered us from that sin in our past has been, has been Jesus, has been taking it to the cross, him loosening and breaking those chains of, of this sin that we cling so tightly to. And as Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's the cross, my, my friends, of that, that slowly tears that, that second veil and gives us a deeper desire for Jesus. And as we go to the cross, it is going to be difficult. Just like there was death on the, on, on the cross with Jesus, there will, we will experience death as we go uh, to the cross. But, but because of what Jesus has already done, as we take our sins to the cross, we're not met with condemnation when we go there, right? But instead, we're met with mercy and we're met with grace and our heart begins to soften more and more as we continue to go to Jesus. Slowly, that second veil in our heart begins to rip little by little until spending time in the presence of God increasingly becomes the greatest desire of our heart. Philip understood, as we, as we see here, somehow, Philip understood that the only thing that would change Nathaniel's heart would be Jesus, would be encountering Jesus. So he brought him to him. And I pray that we would treat our own heart the same way, right? That when we're feeling hurt or weary or, or lazy or sad or, or lacking zeal or, or full of doubt, you name it, I feel like we would treat our heart like, like Philip treated Nathaniel and we would bring our heart to the one in whom our heart belongs to, right? That we would allow him that we would allow God to align our heart with his and allow him to tear that veil in two like he's done before. So back to verse 47 and 48 now. So Nathaniel tells Philip, come and see, starting in verse seven or 47 again, says, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And then Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Man, this is, this is crazy cool. Crazy cool. So right away, as Nathaniel and Philip are walking to Jesus, Jesus calls out, says, ah, Nathaniel, the, whom, the one in whom has no deceit. So right away, Jesus is showing Nathaniel that he knows his character, that, that he knows him. So Nathaniel then is like, how how do you how do you know me, Lord? Like it's that's almost so personal. He's like, ah, how how do you know? And it's kind of funny. This isn't like a condemning thought. It's kind of funny to think about. Like, what would what do you think Jesus would say about you when you were walking to? Like, what would he what would he announce uh, about you? Would he be like, my my brother John, John from Collinsville, Illinois, right? And then how would he describe your your character? It's kind of fun to think about, or might be condemning. Who knows? It, it, uh, it's just interesting to think about what he would say about us. But we probably would have responded just like Nathaniel uh, does here, where he says, how do you know me? And then Jesus responds with a very personal and intimate detail about his location. So he's saying, not only do I know your character, but I know your location. I know, I, I know you inside and outside, which is really cool. I think what Jesus is saying is, brother, I see you. I see you, right? And I, and I kind of love that we, that we don't really know what Philip was doing under the fig tree. Like there's nowhere else in scripture that, that tells us. But I mean, 
history and tradition would suggest that it was common for, for the Jews to go and sit under a fig tree and pray and, and meditate on Scripture. That very may well be what he was doing, but, but we don't know. But I kind of like that we don't know, because I think what Jesus is doing here is, I mean, that shows how intimate and personal that, that response is, right? He's saying, like, when no one else was around, right, I, I see you, I saw you under, under the fig tree, right? It just, we're getting more and more of a glimpse of how personal and really supernatural uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus is here. These two responses from him are immediately showing Nathaniel that he really, really is known and that Jesus really is who Philip is telling him he is. And this realization, this encounter, leads to an awesome, dramatic heart change. Check out verse 49 that then says, Nathanael answers them then, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. What, what an amazing response then. He goes from, can anything good come from Nazareth to just encountering two you know, responses from Jesus to, you truly are the Son of God. A complete heart change here. By encountering Jesus, he's realizing that he truly is who he says he is. And seeing that he is deeply known, he just, he can't help but extol Christ. His heart can't help then but to sing his praises. And my gosh, how I long for us to experience this in our own, own heart today, that we were encounter, that we would encounter Jesus today in his love through his scripture today. And then as you go back this week and as you spend time with him in your own studying of God's word, in your own time of prayer, as you guys talk about Jesus as a family, that you would truly experience and see that you are fully known and fully loved um, and that your heart then would just respond, that your heart would be softened and your heart would just not be able to help but extol Christ Jesus. One of the greatest desires of our heart as people is to be fully known and fully loved. It's one of our greatest desires. It's, it's, it's almost like God put that in us, right? And I'm, I'm sure he did, right? So that we would actually, so that that would lead us to then him, to seek that out, to realize that people, people can't fulfill that in us. We try our best, and it's good to, to try and love fully and care for fully those around us, but we're sinful. We all fall short of the glory of God. The only one, the only one who can truly offer that being fully known and fully loved, what we are ultimately looking for, is the one who created us. He is the only one who knows us that deeply and loves us that deeply. Um, and um, man, if, if we would stop trying to find it in others and realize this and go to the Lord, um, man, our heart, I think, on a regular basis would um, would be changed. So let, let's continue to talk about this. What does it mean? What does it mean to be known by God, to be known by our Creator? So we got. I'm going to look at a few verses here in these next slides coming up. So this this is Ephesians chapter one, three through five. Here, as we look at what Scripture says about what does it mean to be known by God. This is this is one of my my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. Ephesians one. It's just bonkers. Check this out. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Before the foundations of the world, he knew us and he chose us, right? And then it says there that one of the reasons 
for knowing us and choosing us, choosing us is so that we would then come to know him, that he predestined us for adoption. And in order to be adopted, you must first not be a child and then brought in and be made a child. So God knows us and he's choosing us, knowing that we are going to sin and he is going to have to cast us out of the garden, right? That we will not be his child for a while and then he's going to have to, through Jesus, redeem us. So he's, what we're seeing in that is before he formed the world, he knew us. And he knew that we were going to sin against him. And he knew that he was then, through his son Jesus, redeem us and bring us back into relationship with him and make us a son and a daughter in him, which is amazing, amazing, that depth of, of being known. That's something that, I mean, that, that's hard to even wrap our mind around, that he would know us before forming the earth. It's crazy. So this next one is Psalm 139. And many of us know this, but it, it's so good uh, to, to just meditate on and talk about So Psalm 139 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I mean, you talk about depth of being known. You are being intricately woven and made in your, in your mother's womb, saying that all of, the, all of the days that you were going to live, he knew even beforehand. I mean, we cannot wrap our mind around the, the depths of being known like this and how, again, this, this personal and intimate knowing. He, he not only knew us before the foundation of the world and chooses us in him knowing that we're going to sin and that he's going to have to redeem us and he eventually adopts us as son and daughters. But he says that he actually creates us too, intricately. So he knows the details. There's another verse that says that he knows every hair on our head. Like this is a very intimate and personal God who knows us more than we could ever, ever truly imagine. I mean, it is, it is mind-blowing. And then we talked about this a little bit already, but if he knows us in this way, then he also knows the depths of our sin, right? So Romans 5, 6 through 11 tells us this about the, the beauty of him knowing our sin and how we are enemies of him because of that, but yet through, through Jesus, he demonstrates his love. So check this out. Romans 5, 6 through 11 says this, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Come on, right? We are, we are enemies of him. He knows the depth of our sin. Every, you, you might have been successful in your life of hiding some things from friends and family and people. You have not been successful in hiding sin from your heavenly father. He knows. He knows, right? And this sin makes us enemies of him, but he still chooses us. He still sends his son, even though he knows everything that we have done and will done, Yet he still, still demonstrates his love 
by sending his son to die to us so that we could have a relationship with him. I mean, this kind of love is just, it's unmatched. It is unmatched, right? We can't wrap our, our head around it. The fact that the king of the universe, the creator of the universe would die for his enemies, even knowing that even after he saves us, even after he makes us a son and a daughter, we're still going to sin against him. What an amazing, amazing God. And just when you think, just when you think it can't get any better than that, let's jump back in to verse 50 uh, in John chapter one here. We see, so after this amazing heart change by Nathaniel, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel, Jesus then answers him and says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe, you will see greater things than these. I mean, can we, greater things than these, right? Can we, can we pause for a second and just, and just praise God for that truth that he doesn't just save us and say, okay, wait, wait there until I come back, right? Like, no, he, he's, he's saving Nathaniel here and then he's saying greater things are to come, man. You have no idea, right? And he, it's like Jesus is, is telling him like, dude, you're gonna get to know me even more. You're going to see more and more and more who I am and what I have come to do in keeping the will of my father, right? God invites us into his grand divine plan for the salvation of his children. And we get to participate in that, right? With God in all his power and grace. He doesn't just save us and says, wait there, I'm gonna do all this. Wait till I come back. He invites us in. And then, I mean, this is amazing. We go to, if you flip to Second Corinthians, you don't have to flip with me, but if we go to Second Corinthians chapter five, we get a, a glimpse of this invitation here. This is in verse 17 through 21. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciles us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. Unbelievable. And Micah, when he was up there, mentioned this earlier about how now we are seen through the eyes of God, through, through Jesus as, as righteous. We are now righteous and from saving us, he now says, now, now, greater things are even to come. I'm gonna send you into the world. I'm gonna send you into your workplace. I'm gonna send you to your neighbors. I'm gonna send you, maybe it's a different country to go and be an ambassador for me, to go and preach the good news of Jesus, to go and tell them who I am, what I've done, to go share testimonies. I mean, it is amazing. So I feel like what, what, what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel basically is, again, you ain't seen nothing yet right? Like, like, just wait, just wait. But then, but then he gets serious uh, with him here in, uh, in verse 51. Jesus then says, and he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So this truly or truly, it's, it's really interesting. Jesus says this, 25 times just in the book of John. He responds with truly, truly. So it's, it's not just, I think when he says that, it's, he's saying like, this is not just a true statement, but this is amazingly true. Like this is unbelievably true. This is truer than, than you could ever 
uh, imagine. So he says, truly, truly, I say to you that you will see the heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So we have to go to Genesis 28 to see what Jesus is, uh, is referring to here. He's always borrowing this line from Genesis 28 when God um, approaches Jacob through a dream and encourages uh, Jacob uh, with truth here. Uh, and then God, as we're going to see, or Jesus, as we're going to see here, replaces the ladder in Jacob's dream with the Son of Man or with, uh, with himself. So this is, this is Genesis 28, uh, verses 12 through 15 here. So you know, Jacob, he's a, he's a weary traveler uh, at this moment. He just laid his head down under a rock, and uh, God comes to him in a dream. So starting in verse 12, he says, And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder, by the way, that, that it's more so translated to like stairway than, than ladder, but just fun fact. Um, so it says, and there was a ladder that was set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be made like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So God here is, is giving a dream to this, to this weary traveler whom has this promise uh, from God that is Going to, be, going to be carried out. And God is reminding him, encouraging him that, that I will fulfill the, this promise. He's showing him through a dream that, that God is going to accomplish this, keeping his promise and, and paving the way and being with him through angels, through this, the angels of ascending and descending is going to carry out, God's mission is going to carry out uh, what he is calling uh, Jacob to do. So God is saying through his angelic messengers uh, that God will carry out his will and his promises. So then back to what Jesus is saying as he, as he quotes that. And he says the, the, the same thing. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man this time, right? So I, I think what, what Jesus is, is saying here is that now he is the means in which God is going to carry out his promise and his will. Right, so he's saying he's saying that I I am now that one, right? And we and we we see this all throughout G Jesus' ministry of angels ministering to him. You know, after he spends that time in the wilderness and he encounters the devil and he's tempted, it's angels that come and minister to him. Angels are used massively in Jesus's ministry, right? But I think what he's really getting at is Nathaniel. Not only are you going to see greater things, right? But truly, truly, you are going to see the heavens open up and you're going to see God accomplish his will and his promise through me. Absolutely incredible. So in a nutshell, I think what Jesus is telling Nathaniel here in, in his own way is that he truly, truly is the way, the truth, and the life, right? So earlier we, we asked the question, of like what keeps us from accepting the invitation to come to Jesus, right? What, what keeps us from enjoying him day after day, especially when, especially when, when, when we're struggling, whether, it's, whether we're struggling or, or 
things are going great in our life, there's still times where we know that we could go and, and be filled and experience his love and his goodness, but, but we just don't. And I think we concluded that the, the root of it, the main reason, is, is our sin, right? But, but because Jesus truly is who he says he is, because he really is the way, the truth, and the life, there is tremendous hope in that. Because of the gospel, because of Jesus and what he did on the cross and through his resurrection, no longer does our sin have power over us. No longer do we have to keep that sin from keeping us from God, right? The chains have been broken and we can go to him time after time after time and ask him to continue to soften our heart and continue to, to break those chains. We have been set free from the bondage of slavery and we have been given through the tearing of the first veil, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we've been given complete access to God through Jesus, right? It's, it's so amazing to think about. We talked about this in Ephesians 1 earlier when we looked at it, that in, in the beginning, even before the foundation of the world, he knew us and he chose us, right? And then God creates. He creates the, the world and, and everything in it, right? And, and Adam and Eve are, are dwelling with him and enjoying relationship. And then we see, we see what? It, it's sin, again, that breaks that relationship with God. And in his grace, he, he sends them out of the garden, but all with this awesome, amazing divine plan to bring us back into relationship with him. This wasn't an afterthought. Jesus was there from the beginning. God knew that we were going to do that, right? He knew that he was going to have to redeem us through Jesus. So the second, the second that we sinned, he began rolling out this great divine plan, and that plan is Jesus, right? So he then sends his son in the form of a baby, right? He grows up and lives the perfect life that we then could not live. And then because the penalty of our sin is death and separation from God, there is a, there is a penalty that needs to be paid because of that. So Jesus then pays that penalty for us. In Romans, it says that God offered up his son Jesus as the propitiation for our sins, right? It appeased God, that God's wrath and the punishment was put on Jesus instead of us, and that pleased God. It satisfied his wrath. So Jesus was that substitute for us, right? And then three days later, he raises from the grave, proving that he has power over sin and death, and anyone, anyone who believes in him, their sins are forgiven. They are made a new creation in Christ Jesus, and you have complete and total access to God through him. You are made, you were are, you are once separated, uh, a, an illegitimate child, a, an enemy of God in the domain of darkness, and through Jesus, through faith, by grace in him, we are transferred from that dominion of darkness into his marvelous light. We are his, and we are made sons and daughters, and nothing can ever change that. He has made us children, right? Children who can fully go to him as little children, right? Completely unafraid that he's going to turn us away as children too. He fully knows us and he fully knows our sin. Nothing is hidden in his sight, yet he still calls us to himself. We now, as adopted children of God, can run to him with total confidence that he won't turn us away, all because of the death and resurrection of Jesus and because of now our new identity of his beloved of, uh, of, his, of his children. So what we're, what we're seeing here, again, from that, that big idea of it is, it is encountering Jesus, it is, is encountering him passing through that, that, that first veil, entering into the presence of God, experiencing uh, him, uh, right, that, that tunes our heart 
to sing his praise that changes our heart from being apathetic, from, from not desiring him, to completely and fully desiring him and wanting him above all things. It's coming to God, entering into his presence, meditating on the scriptures, allowing him to open our eyes, that we realize that we are completely known, completely, utterly known, and completely and totally loved. It is this love, this encounter, that tunes our heart to sing his praise. So we're going to end on, uh, on this verse from Hebrews here um, as, the, as the band returns. Um, I'm going to read this uh, for us here, and then, then I'm going to pray. Uh, this is in, in Hebrews 10. Um, again, that, that is um, summarizing, again, and embodying kind of what we've been talking about, what we've been looking at in the scriptures here. So this is Hebrews 10, uh, verses 19 uh, through 23 here. So it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let's pray. Father God, we, um, Lord, we praise you and thank you for the good news of your son Jesus. Lord, we thank you that even though we are so undeserving of your love and so undeserving uh, of your grace, um, Lord, you still sent your son to, to die for us. You still sent your son to pay the penalty uh, of death that we deserve because of our sin, uh, Lord, and you didn't stop there. You didn't, you didn't just forgive us, uh, Lord, but you then impute your righteousness to us, God, so that we now can enter into your presence day after day after day with anything that is on our heart and on our mind. We can go to you, Lord, because of the righteousness that we now have through Christ. We thank you for that reality and that truth, Lord. And God, I pray for, for anyone in this room right now, God, that is, that is desiring to go to you, that is desiring to, to, to open up their, their Bible, to come to you and, and pray, but are just, are just finding that there is something keeping them from doing it, God. I pray that you would tear down those walls, Lord. Will you, will you rip that veil in their heart that is keeping them from experiencing your love and your goodness, Lord? And will you draw them to yourself, God? Will you remind them, Lord, that they are known, fully known, and that are fully loved, uh, God, and that they have complete access to you because of Jesus, Lord. I pray for the one in the room that does not know Jesus, God, that that you would open their eyes um, like you opened Nathaniel's, uh, Lord, to, to the fact that you truly are who you save you are, who you say you are, Lord, and that you would that you would save um, God and that you would bring them uh, to yourself, Lord. So we thank you, God, for our time together. We thank you for your word, Lord. And God, will you this morning and the rest of this week as we as we spend time with you and as we learn about you, God, may you tune our heart to be like Nathaniel's, Lord, where we cannot help but proclaim who you are, that we cannot help but extol your name, Lord, but we cannot help but desire you above all things. Would you do that work in our hearts, God? We love you. We praise you. And we pray this in your name.